Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for this day. Lord, I thank you uh, for another opportunity to hear from your word and, uh, and pray that your spirit would guide and lead us today to see you more fully, uh, to know that you're a God who, who brings great promises and fulfillment into this world. And I pray, God, uh, that we would get a glimpse, a, a greater clarity of, of that good news. Uh, guide Zach's words today so that we may hear more clearly from, from you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Oh, is that working? Good morning. How are you guys? That's, that was better than I was expecting. Um, I'm sorry that I had those expectations. Um, but yeah, um, how many of you guys have seen Free Solo? Um, could you go to that slide there, Justin? It's kind of struggling here with the iPad. Um, oh, it's working. I didn't look behind me. Thank you. Um, so yeah, Free Solo. It's great. To, how many? Let me see those hands again. How many guys have seen that? That's one of my favorite documentaries. Um, Free Solo is, uh, it's crazy. Um, it's about Alex Honnold. He um, is a rock climber and kind of a psycho because he climbs without ropes. Um, if you kind of take a look here, um, Free Solo is a little bit about um, his climb. It's all about his climb of El Capitan in Yosemite Valley. Um, he does it, again, without ropes. It's, um, according to Google, about 7,500 feet tall, um, about 3,000 feet off the valley floor in this climb, and um, again, uh, about, you know, according to Google, about three Eiffel Towers are in that climb, as well as two and a half Empire State Buildings. Um, without ropes, again, I'll kind of keep that picture up here just so you can kind of get an idea. It's absolutely insane. Um, but the reason that I bring this up is because if there wasn't this kind of like footage or evidence of uh, him climbing this mountain without ropes, I would not have believed it for a second that somebody did something like that. Um, but the evidence is there, and we're kind of challenged with, um, you know, from other documentaries, from, um, let's say, something like Supersize Me, where, okay, you're challenged with the evidence from his kind of dive into fast food as to what, that's, what that does to you, and uh, maybe have to reckon with your diet, or if you look at Citizen Four, a little more of a serious example with um, Edward Snowden and what he kind of argues or kind of presents as evidence about what the government is up to, uh, you, you have to reckon with truth. You have to reckon with this sort of evidence. You're challenged by the evidence to change the way that you think or view the world. So in this series that we're in of the four witnesses, we're kind of going through the different gospel accounts from Matthew, the rabbi, um, from, uh, from Mark, the rebel, and from St. Luke. This week we are in um, Luke's book, The Journalist. Luke is the longest gospel. Thanks for this one, Dave. I had a lot... <laughs> I had a lot to work through here. Um, this is what I'm. <laughs> this is what I'm working with. Uh, so this is this is um, a really cool picture that I um, am just kind of fascinated with. The uh, the bottom, those lines and those bars, those are different verses and chapters from the Bible. And the arcs 
that connect other verses and chapters together are just giving you kind of a map of the different references and connections that are all throughout Scripture. So essentially, this is kind of a map of the Bible. And in the reading today, uh, we kind of learned that what Luke is trying to do is show that this has been fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and that we need this. We need this certainty and we need this good news. So Luke's claim here is that in a world of fake news and alternative facts, we have good reasons to believe that Jesus is the best news that we've ever received. So to go back to the text a little bit to kind of refresh ourselves, um, which Chrissy read, uh, thank you for that. Um, we kind of realized that, again, we have a ton of evidence. Luke is, um, he's very detail-oriented. That's why he's the journalist. He um, followed uh, Paul around on his ministry journeys, or his missionary journeys, um, interviewing people, taking down different um, accounts that people have, different teachings they might have witnessed Jesus um, teach, uh, miracles he might have performed, and then he puts them into this orderly account for um, Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus is a very well-educated Greek. Uh, he's a Gentile. Uh, his name literally translates to God-lover. Um, so that's applicable to us as people who, like, uh, we're, we're very modern, we're very contemporary, very rationalistic, very detail or evidence-oriented. We like data. Um, you might consider Theophilus to be woke. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, Again, in considering everything that we're looking at here in Scripture, why, why is he writing this? He's writing this to compile a narrative um, so that we can have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. And why do we need this certainty, and, and why is it so important for Luke to be writing this letter? And if you've been alive for the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks, the last several months, it's no secret that this world is very, very broken and that there are things going on that kind of beg for a greater justice or something greater uh, for us to kind of believe in because things are very incomplete or um, very limited in, in, I guess, the justice that you can receive. Um, Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12 that um, as Christians, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers, uh, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a very real thing that we kind of live in. And again, you're seeing it play itself out constantly. And the reason that we need this story and we need this good news is because we need this greater hope that the world and that the earth and that this human life um, can't necessarily provide. So in terms of, you know, kind of where we're going at this with Luke and um, the evidence that we've got, again, we've got a lot. Um, we've got this whole, this whole scripture here, all books of the Bible that kind of point uh, to Jesus and that Luke is arguing um, is fulfilled in him. It's presenting the evidence that is fulfilled in him. So I think to best understand what it means for Jesus to be who Jesus is to us and how he does fulfill this and the evidence that we do have for him, um, we can go to Luke 4. Um, so Luke 4, it's kind of coming after Jesus is baptized. He goes on the wilderness to be tested, and he, um, he doesn't succumb to that temptation. Uh, and then he moves forward into the temple um, where he or what we read here in Luke 4, um, verses 16. So, uh, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
To, uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what Jesus is saying here, uh, rather than saying like we do, that this is the word of the Lord, amen, he's saying that this is fulfilled in me, that I am the Messiah, that I'm the one who brings good news to the poor and liberty to captives and freedom to the oppressed and sight to the blind. And this is, again, the good news that Jesus brings. So we're going to look at these things. How is all of this fulfilled in Jesus? The good news to the poor, um, liberty to captives, freedom to oppress, and sight to the blind. And we're going to go a little further as well. We're going to look at two parts of these different elements of the kind of obvious um, understanding of these things and, and the um, spiritual understanding of these things. Is everybody with me? Great. Um, so let's kind of dive in here and look at good news to the poor. Um, so... Unfortunately for you guys, there is nothing uh, in the uh, book of Luke that says that you will be upwardly mobile if you follow Jesus. Um, <laughs> the kind of obvious, I guess, or material way to look at things is um, just thinking of poor, uh, maybe socioeconomic status, um, things like that. Um, but again, there is nothing there that kind of argues that you're going to, if anything, you're probably going to be downwardly mobile if you're following Jesus in some ways, because uh, he invites us to give. Um, he's not saying that he's going to make you rich or wealthy, um, but there is the side of things, too, um, about being spiritually poor. Uh, and this can kind of be understood as the humble and pious who sincerely seek God, those who tremble at his word. Kind of like uh, the beginning of Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is respect for the word and this um, reverence for God and, uh, and the way that he invites us to live here in this world. Um, and the way that we can kind of see this reflected in Luke, the evidence that we have, um, Luke 8, there is a woman who has kind of a perpetual bleed, um, and this makes her kind of ritually and socially unclean in the world's eyes, or in her culture's eyes. So uh, she has this lower status already, as women already did. Women are a very common Luke, uh, theme in Luke, um, and since they were kind of looked down on back then, or maybe not taken as seriously, or didn't contribute as much to society in, in men's eyes during that time. Uh, this was very important for the spiritual side of things, for people who live in this world where they uh, might be considered poor spiritually, to have this dignity and to have this reverence for their um, image-bearing nature as a woman as well as, as a man or whatever race or culture that you might be coming from. You bear the image of God, and in Christ and in his resurrection, you're offered that sort of dignity. So in liberty to the captives, the obvious that we can kind of consider is uh, potentially the return home to Israel or maybe some sort of occupied city or potentially, you know, any, any sort of place where you're um, kind of held under someone else's occupation. Um, one kind of obvious bit of evidence here, um, material bit of evidence, is when Jesus cleanses the temple and gets the money changers out and gets rid of the, the idea of a temple as a marketplace and restores it to being um, uh, God's house. Um, but the more spiritual side of things, we can look at the return home to Eden or the return home to God. In Luke 23, when Jesus dies and gives up his spirit, the temple curtain tears. And the temple curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. That's the place where God's spirit and his presence dwelled. So Jesus, in taking the sin of the world uh, as the unblemished lamb, so to say, he... Um, 
created room for us, we, we no longer have to do these sacrifices or these cleansings to be in God's presence. God's presence comes into the world through Christ. That's the sacrifice that we have um, made in Jesus to us that gives us new life and freedom from the captivity of living in this sinful world. So when we go to look at something like um, liberty to the oppre- or freedom to the oppressed, excuse me, um, we can kind of understand it as release from immediate suffering. As soon as Jesus finishes his discourse in the temple, he heads out and he um, relieves people of fevers from um, demonic possession. Um, so those are maybe some obvious kind of uh, looks at things. But um, to go look at the um, you know, deeper spiritual side of things. In Luke 5, there's a man who is paralyzed and they want to see Jesus um, speak and preach and have their friend healed. Uh, so um, this man who's paralyzed, his friends um, can't get in, so they lower him through a roof uh, and they place him in front of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does isn't heal him and help him walk. He does do that, but the first thing he does is forgive his sins. And that's incredibly important for us here, just considering what we, what we just said in terms of um, the ability to have this access to God and have this relationship with your creator. For Jesus to forgive our sins, for there to be room made in that sense, that takes priority in Jesus' mind. And that's the same for us here today. And that's offered to you through Jesus' death and resurrection. So when we look here to, oh, excuse me, um, this also means another thing, though. It kind of, um, freedom too, it it means to be, um, it can also mean to be free to go out, free to be sent out, and free to give this good news. So um, when you consider something like Luke 10, uh, where um, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers, they go out and Jesus tells them and instructs them them to uh, bring the kingdom and heal the sick in the towns that they're heading forward to. Uh, And they come back and and they say, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So what's being said here is that whose kingdom is falling and whose is rising? And these miracles that are being performed, um, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York uh, who I respect very, very much. He, um, He says when he talks about miracles that we as modern people like to consider miracles as a um, break in the natural order. We know everything we, we can possibly know about biology, right? So um, it's not normal for somebody to be healed when they have this biological makeup uh, that we know so much about. However, um, Tim Keller is arguing that rather than it being a break in the natural order, it's actually a restoration to the true order of things, to your design in the image of God. So you're free to go out in this sense and be redeemed and be restored and share that good news with other people. And that's, um, and that's what happens. That's why Satan falls like lightning. When you're bringing God's kingdom here into the world and you're preaching the gospel and you're living out the gospel and you're inviting others to know the freedom that comes with that, you are, you are contributing in that sense. So um, when we consider things like sight to the blind, um, save this for last, because uh, I get to talk about my favorite verse. Um, in uh, Luke 18.35, there's kind of a literal example of Jesus healing a blind man, restoring his sight. But when it comes to um, the spiritual side of things, uh, when it comes to sight to the blind, Um, Jesus and Luke are offering us testimony that we remain spiritually blind to the reality that we we actually live in. We value kind of everything right here, right now in front of us in in our human capacity, but when we consider this story, um, there is is a greater story that we fall in as humans, and there's something different going on um, in this world that's that's beyond us a little bit. Um, And when we are meeting Jesus, 
we are going to be able to discover that reality and we're going to discover the story that we live in and the reality of the world that we live in. So in Luke 24, um, Jesus has just been resurrected and there are two disciples who had thought that um, Jesus was their Messiah. And not the Messiah in the sense that um, Jesus presents himself to be and who he is, but they thought that he was somebody who was going to liberate and redeem Israel in in a different way. Perhaps it was a more violent way. Uh, Barabbas is a good example of that. He was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And his first name was actually Jesus, and Barabbas actually means son of the father. So there's this clash here in terms of what kingdom is coming. Is it a violent kingdom? Is it a kingdom that is um, brought forward by human means? Or is it one that is done through trust and love in God and um, therefore suffering at the hands of the world. And this isn't an attractive message. When, when you follow Jesus, there is suffering that's attached to it. Um, it isn't um, what maybe some, some scholars or some modern-day theologians might have a critique of, of certain um, sects of Christianity or the evolution of it, calling it moralistic therapeutic deism. This isn't where necessarily you go just to have yourself to, to feel good, to help you feel good, or for you to um, see Jesus as some sort of Santa Claus figure. Following him is hard, and it's difficult, and it calls you to something greater and to take up your cross every day. There's death to self that comes with following Jesus, and that's very, very difficult. So when it comes to giving up these human ideas and maybe how we understand Jesus to be, these, these disciples on the road to Emmaus are a great example because they're walking and they, they're confused about what's going on. Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. They're explaining to him what happened and how lost they feel. Um, and Jesus goes ahead and explains scripture to them and explains to them how the Christ had to suffer and die and how this story points to him and the way that he lived his life here on earth and the story that is accomplished and fulfilled in him like Luke suggests. So we have that evidence, but what they go ahead and do um, is they go, they keep walking, Jesus explains scripture to them, and they sit down for a meal, and when Jesus breaks the bread, they recognize him, and he vanishes from their sight. And in the Last Supper, the breaking of the bread uh, is supposed to symbolize the, the breaking of Jesus' body. It's the suffering that comes with it. So when they recognize the suffering, that's when they recognize Christ, and that's when they recognize their Savior, who suffered and died for us. And took on that sin for us to give us new life. And this is why it is so important in this broken world that is still, um, we're still being battled with in terms of the spiritual realities or maybe the dark powers or forces that we as very modern, rationalistic, or data-driven people would love to just say is an antiquated reality. But that's the true reality that we live in, and the enemy loves that we think that way. And the enemy loves that he is in disguise in certain elements of our society and keeping us distracted from the good news of Jesus and changing our ideas of Jesus into someone who um, doesn't uh, take us into any sort of suffering or through any sort of difficult times. And that's where you meet Jesus. That's where, that's where this just growth and this personal relationship with Jesus just explodes, is in your suffering and in recognizing your brokenness and letting God love you despite all of that. And he raised from the dead so we can know that for sure. And that's what Luke is saying here. In the Screwtape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, um, it's a book about like a senior devil writing to a junior devil, uh, training him, teaching him how to distract humans from loving Jesus and loving God and living like you do. 
Um, and he writes about how he hopes that we can emotionalize and mythologize science and that we can um, keep the human mind distracted uh, to keep you kind of living in monotony, to maybe have you uh, walking into church and judging the person next to you by what they're wearing or what they might look like or maybe what they do for a living, not getting to know them, not getting to know their names, not understanding their struggles as a broken human being and how Christ is working in their life. He's keeping us from having this intimate community that really is the worst thing that the enemy uh, can deal with. Because in Christ and together as a church, we can work together to bring the gospel out into the world, into this very unjust society, into the human realities of this world that really leave us kind of broken and feeling incomplete and in our suffering. And we do that together. So in a world of fake news and alternative facts, we have good reason to believe that Jesus is the best news we've ever received. Amen? So we have all the evidence, right? We have, we have a lot of evidence. Uh, we have a lot to look into, and we can find ourselves in this story. This isn't just for um, pastors to do. This isn't just for theologians to do. I am a layperson. Um, uh, this, is, this is all there for you guys, and you can take on the challenge. You have all of the evidence. So uh, I would encourage you and challenge you as a congregation to lean in and take scripture uh, and the evidence that we have um, and, uh, and, and dive in and, and see how that kind of applies to your life. So um, will you pray with me? Um, Father, uh, thank you for Luke's gospel. Thank you that we have evidence that we can believe uh, what you and what Jesus have done. Um, thank you that we have this church where we can come together to be broken people who can love you and who know that you love us and can bring that to others in the world who might be blind to that sort of reality. In your name we pray, amen.